On Easter, we sing songs about Jesus and his deep love, his boundless sacrificial love that purchased our eternity. His love promises us paradise, heaven, a glorious rest someday. But where we get messed up is when we think that great someday doesn't begin on this side of heaven. Jesus didn't just die for our future, he died for our future, our past and present. The someday he promised is today. Eternity has begun. This moment right now is dripping with heaven. Today, right now, he is calling us out of our man-made tombs, declaring, behold, I am the resurrection and the life. I have come to give you life and life to the fullest. Full life now. Well, this morning as we dive in, we are gonna open our Bibles to John chapter 10. We are gonna be looking in the book of John. Well, first, uh, book of John was written by a man named, any guesses? John. John. Very good. Thank you. Give yourselves a hand. The first question, that's easy. Yes, written by a man named John. Uh, John wants us to know a couple things about him. First is that when he talks about himself in his biography about Jesus, he was an eyewitness of Jesus and wrote down what really happened. He doesn't refer to himself as John. Instead, he gives himself a nickname. How many of you guys like, have a nickname? Yeah, some of you, a couple, yeah. How many of you, be honest, how many of you have given yourself a nickname at some point and trying to get people to call you that? Yeah, that's right, like the man. That's right. Uh, oftentimes it doesn't work if we give ourselves, uh, you know, try our own nickname. If I was like, Jeremy, from now on, call me Handsome Eric. Uh, you know, he'd be like, I don't think so, Eric. That's not going to work. That doesn't really fit. But John gives himself his own nickname. And I love John's confidence and his boldness. Do you know what he calls himself? His nickname is like, hey, nice to meet you. I'm the one Jesus loves. Like, that's amazing. Like, he's so confident that Jesus loves him that he just refers himself as the one that Jesus loved. Like, I love that. He's the one that Jesus loved. Second, he wants us to know something very important that I think is absolutely hysterical. I love this. He wants us to know that he's a fast runner. Well, at least he's faster than his good buddy, Peter, who's way more famous than him. How many of you, you know St. Peter. You've heard the joke, St. Peter's going to meet you at the gates of heaven. You have to, you know... Get to get in, or the first pope ever was Peter. So Peter's like probably the most well-known disciple. So John, when he's writing his book about Jesus, he's like, I want everyone to know I'm faster than Peter. So let's read about this. John 20. This is on Easter morning. John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together. So they're running to the tomb and John's like, I'm faster than you are. But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I love this. This has nothing to do with the Easter story. But John wants us to know, I'm faster than Peter, okay? Let's just get this down. I think it's hilarious. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth laying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, Simon who's always jumping in, before, leaping before he looks, and went into the tomb. 
He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who would reach the tomb first, he's like, just so you remember, I'm faster, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. See, John, the one that Jesus loved, and Peter, St. Peter, and the other followers of Jesus, they'd followed Jesus for three years and heard why he had come to earth and that he came to lay down his life, to die for us, because we all had a debt to pay. We all are sinners. And we have this debt that we couldn't pay. And we deserve to die. And Jesus said, I'm going to come to pay the debt that you couldn't pay, to pay the price for you. But they didn't get it. They're like, what do you mean you're going to die, Jesus? This is some metaphor for like, you know, being humbled or something. They didn't get it. And then Jesus gets arrested and dragged away. And he gets crucified. And in that moment, all their hope seemed lost. John and Peter and everyone else, they ran away because they thought it's all over. They thought all their hopes were gone. See, the thing is, no one was expecting a resurrection. No one was there on Easter morning like, here we go, I've heard Jesus talk about this. Ten, nine, eight, you know, three, two, one, here he goes. No one was there. No one expected it. Because dead people don't come back to life. And then Mary and some women go, and they're the first ones, but they weren't expecting to, you know, like find an empty grave. They were going to, to put some uh, burial cloths and, and ointments and spices on the body of Jesus. Because honestly, they had heard that some men had wrapped up Jesus on Good Friday. And women, you know, sometimes you have to redo things for the men, right? So that's why they're there, honestly, on Easter morning. They're like, I don't think they did a very good job. And so they're there to redo the job that some guys had done. And they show up, and he's not there. And in that moment, that's, says John, he saw, and he believed, and he understood. He died, but now he rose again. I get it. And I think John looked back and he remembered all these things that Jesus had told him and it was like, it started to click. Maybe like, you know, like in a movie when you're watching and it's like the, you know, the flashback and, and they're thinking of all these things he had said and done. And in that moment, whoa, he's alive. And I think one of the things he remembered comes from John 10, verse 10 through 11. He says, Jesus is talking to his followers. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I have come in that they may of life, full life, now. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. See, Jesus wasn't murdered. He laid down his life for us, for you and me, to pay the price that we couldn't pay. Jesus, our good shepherd, offers us full life, now, now. Well, Jesus calls himself the good shepherd. And over and over again in the Bible, it refers to us as sheep. Now first, you know, when you first hear that, like, oh, we're sheep. Oh, that's so nice. Cute and cuddly little lambs. Like, oh, that's so nice. But that's just kind of us suburbanites who don't go on the farms ever, right? Because like farmers know sheep are dumb. Very, very dumb. I had a good friend who grew up, you know, in the suburbs like me. And the first time she went to a farm uh, and saw sheep, she was really angry. And her husband's like, why are you so mad? She's like, 
Because God calls us sheep. He's like, yeah, they're dumb. Like, they're really dumb. And she was offended. Like, what is this? I thought this was a cute and cuddly thing. No, actually not. Sheep are actually mentioned more than any other animal in the Bible. And while we're about 200 times in the Bible, and while we're talking about animals in the Bible, uh, how many of you guys are dog fans? How many dog people in the audience? Pretty good number. How many cat people in the audience? A few in the back that I'm going to offend. Okay. Uh, So dogs are mentioned about 44 times in the Bible. Do you know what's never mentioned in the Bible? Cats. Yep. There's no cats in the Bible. Uh, So that's good news. Uh, I'm just kidding. I used to have cats. Then I saw the light and we got rid of them. But there's some challenges with being a sheep. And the Bible says we are sheep. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, sheep get lost easily. Sheep get lost easily. And some of us, guys, maybe, we get lost more easily than others. How many of you, man, I am so addicted to my GPS and my phone. Like the other day, I went downtown, and I used to live downtown, and I had to get home. And I was like, I don't know how to do this anymore. i got to find it on my phone. Like, we're just helpless without our GPS. The Bible actually even says in Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. See, the reality is that many of us, many of us are so prone to wander, so easy for us to get lost. We're trying to figure things out and work our way through life. We just keep making bad decisions. It's because sheep without a shepherd get lost very, very easily. When I was on my honeymoon with Kristen, we went to Disney World. And that was a great idea, except I didn't think about the fact that when we went there the first day to the Magic Kingdom and we parked and we went in, we're having a fun time, I made zero notes on where we parked. That's a bad choice. How many of you know Disney World has a few people that visit and big parking lots? So we went to go find our car, and about two hours later, we were still looking for our car. And my wife is carrying her shoes, and our, both our feet are bloody. It was bad. It was bad. And she realized that her husband uh, could get lost very easily. Amen, Kristen? Yeah, yeah. But that's just the way so many of us are. We're trying to get through life on our own, and then we get sidetracked or we get lost, because sheep get lost easily. Number two, sheep are defenseless. Sheep are defenseless. Think about it. Almost every animal has some kind of defense. You know, they got claws or fangs or, you know, like a mule that can kick you or a horse or they got horns that can go down and they can, you know, butt you with them. You know, but, but sheep, they got nothing, man. They're like nothing. Like all a sheep can do, all right, just warning, bad pastor joke coming up, all right? So all a sheep can do is just say, hey, man, back off. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. I got booed in the first service, so thanks. But sheep are defenseless. You know, see, without a shepherd, sheep are at the mercy of any prowling enemy. Sheep need a shepherd to protect them. And maybe some of you, you've been doing life without a flock, without a shepherd, and you keep getting attacked and picked off by the enemy, and you keep being at the mercy of the lies and the schemes of the evil one. It's because sheep, we're pretty defenseless. We need a shepherd. We need a shepherd. Number three, sheep are stubborn. Sheep are stubborn. All right, look at the person next to you and say, I think he's talking about you. Go ahead, right? Okay. Some of you are like, no way, I'm not going to do that. I'm too stubborn, right? I can see you. I see you. In fact, I've read that sheep... 
when they get, they'll, they'll be walking and they can get stuck between two big rocks. And uh, instead of like backing up, they'll keep getting themselves wedged in further and further. Like you never see a sheep go in reverse. Like they never put it in reverse. It's like beep, 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 backing up here. No, a sheep just gets more and more into trouble. How many of you know someone like that? <laughs> that they start getting in trouble and instead of backing up and, and, you know, and changing things, they just stubbornly keep getting deeper and deeper into the same mess. How many of you know someone like that? Go and raise your hand. If the person next to you, don't point at them, but just that's okay. But the bottom line is that sheep need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. We need Jesus. And without him, we're vulnerable to the lies, to the attacks of the evil one. That's why it's really good news that when Jesus says in John 10.10, 10, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I lay down my life for the sheep. So how is Jesus a good shepherd to us? Number one, he calls us. He calls to us. In John 10.3, it says, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. How many of you this morning, how many of you are parents? I'm a parent, I got three kids, yeah. You know how it goes, like when you're hanging out, group of, of, of parents, and your kids are all playing, all of a sudden you hear that kid start crying. And every parent kind of perks up and you're like, is that mine? Because we can know the cries of our kids. Not only that, we know our kids well enough to know like, nope, that's my daughter being a little too overly sensitive because, you know, his brother, her brother took something. And then we know the cries when it's like, oh, I got to run. That's, that's real pain. Our shepherd knows us. He knows us by name. See, in the Middle East, to this day, there are shepherds that can go into a crowded sheep pen full of different sheep, and they can actually call out their sheep by name, and those sheep will come out one at a time because they know the voice of their shepherd. They've spent so much time with that shepherd. They actually will do different songs and different callings for different sheep, but they'll come to them. And Jesus, our good shepherd, he knows us. He calls us by name and says, I'm calling out to you. Maybe this morning you came and maybe you feel some kind of stirring. Maybe it's Jesus calling out to you this morning. I want to encourage you, be open to that calling. Be open to the voice of the good shepherd who calls us by name. Number two, Jesus leads us. He leads us. In verse three, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. One of the differences between uh, the way we we. Uh, shepherd here in the West, Western Hemisphere versus the Middle East, is here in the West, shepherds drive the sheep, maybe in a horse or a truck or they got a dog and they're, they're pushing the sheep, go this way, and they're kind of directing them from the back. In the Middle East, they do things a little differently. They actually lead the sheep from the front and the shepherd calls or he'll sing a certain like, three-note phrase and the, and the sheep follow him. See, Jesus, our good shepherd, he doesn't just kind of push us from behind like, go do this, go do that. He's saying, hey, I'm out here. Come follow me. And he's calling to us. And he says, hey, I'm, I'm gonna lead you. And it looks scary over here, but don't worry. I'm here with you. See, God didn't just give us like a map and say, here's the way to go. He gave us a guide who's right there with us, right there alongside of us. And you believe in Jesus, he's right there with you. I know... All of us, we go through times where we're like, I don't know what to do in the situation. What if I make a mistake? What if I mess up and everything just kind of blows up? Jesus is saying, it's okay, because I'm right there with you. Our Redeemer is our creator, and he knows us, and he's writing our story, and he says, hey, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you. 
and you're going to make a great decision. I'll be there with you as you follow me. But even if you don't, even if you don't hear my voice and you mess up and you make a mistake, it isn't like our shepherd then leaves us. He's still there. He's like, it's okay. You've messed up. It's all right. We're going to take this and we're going to write it into your story. And I'm still writing your story and I'm still there right alongside of you, even when we make a mistake. I think it's so easy to think that when we mess up, when we make a mistake, when we don't listen to our shepherd's voice, we think, oh, we're over here and our shepherd's over there. He's like, nope, I'm, I'm still right here, right next to you. And I'm still calling out to you and I'm still leading you no matter what mistakes we make. Number three, Jesus, our good shepherd, he died for us. That's why we're here this morning celebrating Easter. John 10, 11 and 18, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus came, he wasn't murdered, but he laid down his life because he knew we had a debt to pay that we couldn't pay. And he says, I lay down my life for you. You could also read this as in place of you. I give my life in place of you. So what does this mean? What does this mean that we have a good shepherd who lays down his life for us? What does it mean that the Bible calls us sheep? Well, oftentimes, a sheep would wander away from their shepherd. And that shepherd would have to go and search after that sheep. They'd leave the 99 sheep to go look for the one that was lost. And when they found it, he'd rejoice and bring it back. But do you know what that shepherd would do to that sheep? I think before I did some study on this, I thought, oh, of course, he just kind of, you know, takes the sheep and leads it back. No, the shepherd, he so lovingly picks up that sheep and throws it to the ground like a WWE move. And the sheep is all stunned, like, what is going on? And then the shepherd quickly ties up the feet of the sheep and then carries it on his shoulders back to the, the, where the rest of the flock is. Because he knows that sheep is just going to wander away again. And so to get it back, he's got to throw it down. He's got to stun it. And that sheep, I'm sure, is sitting there going like, what just happened? I heard my shepherd, and I thought he loved me, but now I'm all stunned, and I don't understand what's going on. Now I can't move. My hands are tied. What is going on? He's a good shepherd, and he loves that sheep. And sometimes he's got to stun that sheep. Sometimes he's got to tie up that sheep's feet to bring it back to where it's supposed to be. One of my favorite pictures of Jesus as our good shepherd is found in Psalm 23. Uh, you've probably heard parts of this psalm before. Uh, you know, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, one of my favorite verses is one they like to quote in a lot of like really scary horror movies in the King James Version. So that's how we're going to read it this morning. Psalm 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. For a long time, I'd read that and heard that so many times, it just kind of loses its meaning. But the more I thought about that, it's that our good shepherd, he leads us into green pastures and where life is great. There's also times he knows in our journey and where we're going, we have to go through these dark valleys. That's where the path leads, to get to the next valley, the next pasture. And when we're led into these dark valleys where we look up and the cliffs are so high that we can't see any light and we're afraid of prowling animals around us, it's really easy to question our shepherd. Is he still leading me? But Jesus says, yes. I'm as much leading you in the dark valleys as in the green pastures. One of my favorite stories about Jesus and his disciples is that 
he sends his disciples out ahead of him to the next town, and they take, take their boats on the lake. And a fierce storm comes. And then Jesus walks on water, and he goes, and then he's with the disciples, and he calms the storm. But so often I miss that first, he sent his disciples into the storm. See, when Jesus sends us into the storm, it's as much part of his plan as when things are calm. When Jesus leads us into the dark valleys, it's as much a part of his plan as the green pastures. Right now, if you're in a season where you look around and it seems dark, it seems confusing, Jesus is still there with you. He's still leading you, even through those uncertain times. And it says, our good shepherd has a rod and a staff. So what are these rods and staffs? Because we don't know many shepherds. Well, the staff, that's what you think of, the shepherd's crook. And it was used to draw a sheep close to the shepherd. You know, at a hooked end. So when that sheep would, would wander away, he could grab that sheep. Oh, 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 bring it back here. Oh, no, don't go over here. That's what our, our good shepherd does so many times. It, it reassures us of God's love and guidance in our life as we're going through. He's like, nope, nope, don't go over there. And he pulls us back, and he pulls us back with, 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 that, with that staff. And he uses that staff to comfort us. Well, there's also a rod. And what's kind of sad that in our Sunday school stories and our paintings of shepherds, they always have the staff but never a rod. And so what is this rod? Well, it's like a big club they'd wear at their belts. Like, think like a small baseball bat. Think of like, something that, you know, someone would use, like maybe, I don't know. Uh, and it's a club. And what would happen is that oftentimes it'd be a one sheep. And some of you know, you're like, this is me. I'm, I'm this kind of sheep. You just keep wandering away, no matter what the shepherd does. And he's tired of going to find that sheep who just keeps wandering away and keeps getting lost. And that shepherd is worried about that sheep. Because eventually he's not going to find that sheep. And that sheep's going to walk over a cliff or some wild animal's going to find that sheep. And so you know what that shepherd does? He takes his rod, he takes his club, and he grabs one of the legs of the sheep and he will break the leg of the sheep. Because then that sheep, he can't walk away. He can't wander away. He has to stay right next to his shepherd for food, for drink. See, the shepherd, because he's a good shepherd, he would rather lame the sheep than lose it. And see, there are times in our life where just circumstances are terrible and life is hard and there's disease and sickness and it's not fair because we live in a fallen world. But there's also times when we wander away and we get into trouble and we do things that we're not supposed to do. And our good shepherd, he's worried about us. He's worried about us going over a cliff that we can't come from. And there are times in discipline and love, he'll break our leg so that we have to stay close to the shepherd. And maybe right now you're in one of those seasons. Maybe it feels like you're in a dark valley. You look up and the cliffs are so tall, you can't see any light and you're not sure where the path is leading. Maybe you've done some mistakes and you have wandered away so many times that our shepherd has done something to break your leg and you are just stunned and you're not sure what is going to happen next. But we need to trust in our good shepherd who would rather lame us than lose us. And our good shepherd is with us. And there are times we're not sure why we're in these dark valleys, but he's still with us. And here's the most amazing thing, is that Jesus is a good shepherd 
who became a lamb so that we could be raised up and be friends of God. He became a lamb that died for us. And Psalm 23 ends with we like sheep being led to a table and friendship with the shepherd. I love that. That Jesus doesn't want you just to obey him, to just follow him, but he wants you to have a relationship with him. To, he welcomes us to his table, to friendship, to full life now. See, Jesus, our good shepherd, gave his life so we could experience life to the fullest, full life now. And sometimes we wander away, but he draws us close. I want to share a, a story in video form this morning of one of the men of Mosaic, Keith. He's been coming for about six months now. And Keith graciously shared his story. I think you're going to see a story of a sheep who wandered away. But then God stepped in and called out to Keith and led him. Where Keith finally accepted Jesus' death for him. I think this is going to encourage your heart. Go ahead and check out this video. Well, God's given me one other opportunity out of life, more than I could ever imagine, and I have ever imagined. Um, I always think I can do it by myself, and I can do it for me. I gotta thank God. I gotta thank this church. Thank Pastor Eric, Jeremy, and Matt. He's a friend. He's a mentor. Um, there's so many people in here I just gotta owe my life to. And I just wanna thank everybody, my wife, and just everything. And thank you, Jesus. Uh, amen. <laughs> I met Bree in 2009. I was a wild boy. She was a good girl that was going to college. Her love, her spark, her joy, just always wanted to have fun and she had life to her. Six months after I met her, I found out she was pregnant with my first son, Carter. So Carter came in 2010. We got married in 2011. At that time, everything was going pretty good. I still had an addiction. I was still partying. The following year in 2012, my second son was born, uh, Colton William Kingsley. Four months after he was born, I was diagnosed with Guillain-Barre syndrome, GBS. It's really rare. Um, wouldn't expect anybody to know what it is, but it's basically like the French polio. All of a sudden, one morning I woke up, I told Brie I couldn't move. She's like, what? I was like, Brie, I can't move my legs. I cannot walk. And I remember I, I couldn't believe it because we had no idea what was gone, so I tried to get out of bed and like walk to the door and I fell right on the ground. I'd stand up and I'd fall on the ground, no strength at all. And my mom, her husband, and another guy from the apartment had to carry me down the stairs, put me in the car, and they rushed me to the hospital. Bria had to take care of me. I was basically paralyzed. And when I say paralyzed, I mean I couldn't move my hands, I couldn't move my arms, I couldn't move my legs. Um, I could basically just talk and keep my eyes open. I was in the hospital straight um, without getting out for about four months. When I got out of the hospital, I was like 110 pounds, um, maybe even lighter than that. Uh, so when I got home, Bree had to take care of me. I wasn't working, I was the breadwinner. And that's when I got addicted to opiates because of the pain that I was in when I was in the hospital. And then after those opiates ran out, I was so depressed by who I was becoming and I couldn't do anything and that's when I got into heroin. For the last four years, uh, addiction 
took over my life. Uh, lying, stealing, conniving. Everything you could do wrong to a family member took over my life for the heroin. That's all I became about. Uh, pride meant nothing, my wife meant nothing, kids meant nothing. The sad of that is to say all I cared about was the drug. Last summer, rock bottom hit. Uh, left my wife, I left my kids. Um, I just went on a bender, bouncing around to drug houses, to drug houses. Um, so I was over at my drug dealer's house. At the dope house, he walked out of the room and he always had a gun on his table, a nine millimeter. When he walked out of that room, I grabbed that gun as fast as I could. I bit it in my mouth. I remember biting on that cold barrel. My heart beating, shaking, and I pulled the trigger. Click. I remember I was shaking so hard after that. I just dropped the gun. Do, do, do. And that's when he walked in the room, screaming at me and kicked me out. And that night I slept outside. Crying, screaming, and I called him to a treatment center. Not because even at that time that I wanted to get clean, I had nowhere to go. I lost, used all my friends, wife's gone, kids gone. So I was like, I'll go to a treatment center to gain some weight to feel better, and we'll see what happens. So after about a month in treatment center uh, in Princeton, it was probably 11 o'clock at night. I remember I just got so overwhelmed. I wanted to run. I wanted to do anything I could. And I just I got on my knees and I screamed and I yelled and I cried. I mean, I beat it on my chest. I just, I screamed for anything. Help, um, emotions. And then that morning when I woke up, for some reason, the first thing that came through my head was Mosaic Church. And I grabbed my phone, was on Facebook, and the first person on my Facebook was Pastor Eric. So I went in my message box and I messaged him, what does it mean to be baptized? And then about two hours later, I get a message saying, I would love to come up and talk to you. I was, I was hoping just for a message back of a quick line and kind of keep moving forward. But he said, I would love to come up and meet up with you and talk to you. What do you know, a week and a half later, Pastor Eric and six guys came up to my treatment center and gave me a Bible, um, gave me a hug, showed me what it is to pray, um, showed me what it is to love Jesus Christ. Since I've accepted God in my life, uh, called Jesus my Savior, man, sounds cliche, but the blessings come every day. Um, the relationship with my wife that I never thought would ever come again is a flower that has bloomed bigger and brighter than I ever thought imaginable. Um, since I've allowed Jesus in my life, my kids, I want to say almost, they, get, they look at me and there's a sparkle in their eyes that I don't know if I've ever seen before. Um, since I've let Jesus in my life, I mean, I, I found a job that I love. Um, I'm happy. I laugh. I found brothers in the community and the church at Mosaic that I don't have to put a cape on. I don't have to wear a mask. I'm just goofy Keith. And uh, they love me for it. They accept me for it. And uh, I mean, that's beautiful and a blessing in itself right there. Uh, I'm comfortable in my own skin. That's one thing Jesus has gave me acceptance to do. 
I always thought before I knew what my skin was, but I was more like a chameleon. I could change it all the time. No matter the situation I'm in, I could adapt to. And now I just have one face. I have one person. I'm Keith. I'm Keith Kingsley. And uh, Jesus Christ is my savior. Keith's story is just one of many. And maybe your story isn't as extreme as Keith's. But Jesus is inviting you to let go of the old you and to embrace what he offers, which is full life now. It's not life that starts when we die, eternal life, but full life now. Maybe there's something you've been holding on to Jesus wants you to let it go because Jesus is still in the business of changing and transforming lives. Whatever your story is, he wants you to trust him as your good shepherd, that he is calling out to you, that he's leading you, and that he died for you so that you could have life. We're gonna have some people share their story in just a few words. This is their story. Maybe it'll connect with your story. Jesus wants you to trust him. In the same way that all of these have had Jesus change their life. See, the resurrection isn't just an event, it's a person. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And he says, I have come that you may have life and life to the fullest. And Jesus is inviting you that if you want to move from fear to faith, he says, come. If you want to move from bondage to freedom, he says, come. If you want to move from darkness to light, from sorrow to joy, he says, come. If you want to be filled with God's love and God's truth, whether for the first time or just say, I need more of you, Jesus. I need more of your life in my heart right now. I'm gonna invite you to stand right now and say, Jesus, I am standing for you and I'm inviting you to come into my heart and my life. Fill me right now. Stand with me right now. Say, Jesus, come. Be my light. Fill me up. Because as he offers us full life now, full life now. offers you the gift of life now. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. He says, life is available now, here, in this moment. If you've never made that decision to trust and follow Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we acknowledge him as God's son, you will be saved. It's as simple as that, as saying, I'm moving from death to life and I'm going to follow Jesus as my Savior. If you want to do that this morning, I want to give you that opportunity. You could have every, everyone close your eyes. If you want to pass from death to life and make Jesus your good shepherd and the substitute for the, the punishment that you couldn't pay to be your Savior, pray this with me. Jesus, I am a sinner and I need you. I confess that you are Lord. 
Save me, Jesus. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. Continue to be with me and help me to be more like you. In your name, amen. The Bible says that if you trust in your heart and you confess with your mouth, then you will be saved and you will receive God's full life now and your story can begin to change and transform now. If you made that choice, I would love to talk with you. Mark that on your connection card. Come find me. Uh, I would love to help you, give you tools on that journey because every sheep needs a flock to come alongside of us. You need a shepherd, Jesus, who's teaching you, leading you, and we can't do it alone. We're better together. It's not about Jesus and me, it's about Jesus and we, amen? Why don't you take a seat? And uh, I just wanted to show you, uh, just real quick, uh, can you thank these guys for sharing their story? Amen. We just want to give you a, a, a quick snapshot of what's coming up. Uh, again, thank you for coming. We invite you to come back next week. We're starting a new series called Jesus and We, because uh, we believe that we can accomplish more together. We believe that Jesus is in the business of changing our stories, of giving hope to the hopeless, of making a difference. And that's why we're here, not just for ourselves, but to make a difference in our community. And together we can do more. So go ahead and check out this quick video as it just shows us what we'll be getting into the next month or so. Uh, go ahead and play that video. So often people talk about Jesus and me. Jesus me. But more than Jesus and me, I believe God wants us to focus on Jesus and we. In other words, you alone are not the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. And we can do infinitely more together than we can apart. That's why, as a church, we will be faith-filled, big-thinking, bet-the-farm risk-takers. And we will never insult God with small thinking or safe living. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Christ in order to reach people no one's reaching, we'll do things no one else is doing. As a church, we will lead the way with irrational generosity because we truly believe it is more blessed to give than to receive. As a church, we are spiritual contributors, not spiritual consumers. We believe the church does not exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. Why do we exist? We exist to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ. Jesus and we can make this happen. Amen. I'm excited to jump into that next week as we just learn why we are here. We're here for a purpose. Uh, would you stand with me? We're going to go out of here singing, but may you know that Jesus is your good shepherd, that he's calling out to you, even here, right now, that he's going to continue to be with you. He's going to continue to lead and guide you as you leave this place, as you go to Easter dinner and you, throughout your whole week to truly live and know that Jesus died for you so that you can have life. May you embrace that truth this week. Let's go out of here singing.